Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Two things have become apparent to me as we are making our way through the book of Ephesians uh, over the last couple of weeks that uh, will have a bearing or an effect on, on what, uh, what, what goes on here uh, this morning. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And in many cases, when I, uh, we, I prepare to preach through a book on a, uh, Sunday mornings, I'm reading through it often, the whole thing. And I'm sort of sectioning it out to what I think goes together. And I, I typically, going into it, I have a pretty good idea of, of where the, 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 the section lines are going to land. They get tweaked over time. Uh, sometimes things get adjusted. But we have some idea of sort of where they go. And, and if you would look at my calendar that I use to, uh, to, for, for my daily schedule, I also put on there my preaching schedule. And uh, you would see where all these things are laid out to where I think we're going to end up. And I could tell you roughly, I mean, not by memory, but I could tell you roughly uh, where we're going to land uh, at the end of Ephesians, but two things sort of have, have, um, have, have, have begun to work their way into my brain as we are looking at this, uh, the, the next couple of chapters here. The first is that uh, just an growing awareness for me that I feel like I have been, and I don't know, take it or leave it, I suppose, but that doesn't really matter. I'm not asking for your opinion on it. I, I feel like I've been rushing through a lot of, of uh, where we've been going in Ephesians We've been taking fairly good-sized chunks, and the problem with that, you're probably well aware of, is that uh, makes me preach for a long time because we have a lot to get through. And even having said that, uh, it, it feels like often we are, I, I'm not done, or there's, uh, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm done when I'm, when I'm done walking down. I, there's more that could be said. Like, there's more here in the text than what I was able to, to bring out, have time to bring out, uh, or, or did bring out. Um, so... So there's, there's that on one hand, there's this sense of like, I got to slow it down. And so I just, uh, a week ago told the Lord, then, I, then I'm going to slow it down. We're going to be patient and, and just let the word. And, and I, I, the other thing that's coming to bear here, and I think is probably why the Lord is, was pushing or was, was working this in my head, is it's, we've covered a lot of really good, strong, I love the book of Ephesians, we've covered a lot of really good, strong theology and good, strong like this is who we are, and this is why we should look at life, and this is what, what, what should guide our lives together as believers, and uh, all those things. And we have this curious ability as, as humans to, uh, to be able to uh, hear things like that and agree with things like that and to work through things like that and to, and to, uh, to deal with stuff like that and still somehow kind of separate the, the nitty-gritty details of our own lives. And part of that is because we have this unfathomable ability as humans to uh, realize how true things are for everyone else and make excuses for ourselves or justify for ourselves why that's not true in our case. Why I have a reason to see this a little differently than you do. I mean, it's clear what it says, and this is what you should believe, but I have a reason to think of it a little differently than you do. And we are... Though we've been moving that direction, I've already had the words, I said the words when we got into chapter four that we're moving into the sort of the practical aspect of the book, which is true. We're really gonna come here in the next, the rest of this chapter, chapter five, and even chapter six, we're gonna come into some really nitty gritty, like some, like, I, I, there's just no way when we read this stuff that we're gonna read this morning and, and the next couple of weeks, the Lord willing, the next couple of months, there's just no way we can read them and 
sort of treat them theologically or sort of like dismiss them as, as that's good stuff, but it doesn't mean any difference. I, we're faced with a decision. I, are these things true for me or are they not? Is this what is like happening in my life? Is this how I am or is it not? So I think those two things means, we're gonna read uh, verses 17 through 24 uh, this morning. We're not gonna get all the way through them uh, because there's, 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 there's no way. I, even, even when I short, even when I cut it in half this week from what I thought I was gonna share and I got done and I thought the people are still not gonna be happy with me because I'm still gonna talk too long. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart, of heart, due to, the, due to their hardness of heart. Read that correctly. Verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God, would you teach us this morning from your word? We we have had, I, from my perspective, God, we have had an incredible morning together as a body of Christ already. I have thoroughly enjoyed being here, God. We have, we have worshiped together. We have, I have, we have cried together. We have, our hearts have been touched. Oh, we have, we have, we've seen the struggles of people. We've heard about the struggles of people. We've cared about each other. And no doubt that's going to go on even after we say our closing amen and dismiss. We have been just challenged through Sunday school. We've heard incredible your word already, but yet remains for us, God, this word that you have brought to us that is to be proclaimed to the body of believers. And our response, Lord God, may it be so, our response is that we are yielded to you, that we let your word speak to us, and that we don't say, well, my experience shows that differently, because God, how could we do that? How could we, to the author of life, to the creator of heaven and earth, to the one who has redeemed us. May your word teach us this morning, God. We wait with open ears and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It is incredibly difficult for me to teach the first part of this text and not the second part. Because the first part isn't all that much fun to hear. It's not all that exciting. <laughs> it's not the encouragement that I want you to walk away with every week. But I trust in God that this is what we need to hear. I also believe very, very firmly, I believe very, very firmly that there, there's, tremendous, there's tremendous cultural pressure on us all around to believe certain things about ourselves. And I think it's good for us to read God's word as to what he has to say about us and as to how he defines things as they really are. Paul is going to launch into this, and I better not take any more time. By the way, I should just, I should just say this. I made this offhanded comment, and I, it's not like all of you are mad at me for preaching a long time. In fact, many of you are very supportive of me, and I appreciate that thoroughly, so I don't, I don't want to dismiss that. And I'm hoping all of you know me well enough when I say things like that, that uh, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to preach what, what I'm supposed to say, what I think I'm supposed to say anyway. 
So when I say I'm sorry, it's not that I'm sorry because I'm going to change. It's that I'm sorry that... <laughs> I'm sorry that you don't like that. <laughs> I did not give a separate message title to this because it's the message or it's the title of our entire series. We are to walk as children of light. And the first mandate that Paul gives us uh, as we dig into this text, as he's talking about our walk, our way of life, he says we're walking as children of light. The first exhortation he gives us is that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, for he's setting up a contrast. What we're going to be dealing with today is primarily a contrast over oh, the next two weeks because we can't get the other side of it. We're only going to get one side of it today. He says you should not walk as the Gentiles do. Now, of course, we understand when he's saying walk, he's not referring literally to us like walking around. So like they, like, like Gentiles somehow walk with a pronounced limp of some kind or that like they, they, I don't know, they, 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 they drag their feet when they walk or something. We shouldn't do that. That's not what he said. It's, it's not that. He's, we, we live our life. It's how we live our lives, how we interact with people. And there's a difference being made. Now, we're going to get to the phrase that the whole series is named after in chapter 5. But we're to walk as children of light, which by necessity means we don't walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Paul can say this, and I can tell you firmly this morning, in the midst of all of our cultural stuff going on, that Paul is not making a racist statement. He's not saying that we are not to walk like those, those people there because of their ethnicity, because that's what the word Gentile is really meaning, the others. He's, he's not making the case. In fact, if you, if you think that, then just go back and read chapter 2, because he's made it incredibly clear that there is no more dividing line between Jews and Gentiles, that we are all, when we are confessing Christ, we are all unified in the body. We're all part of the body. So it's not a racial statement. He's simply using the tool available to him to distinguish between those who have submitted themselves to Christ, who are in Christ, and those who have defied Christ. Those who have said, I don't want to walk that way. Turn my mic back on. And if you're like me, then when you read through this, it is doing two things at once. One is, it's a declaration of how God sees those who are not in Christ and the reality of their life the reality of their life. And this is not gonna be all that fun to hear. But the second thing, and this is one of the things that's been, been, I mean, it's been, I mean, it's been affecting me all week, and just this morning again, I, most of you can't see me because I'm up here. If you're on the worship team, sorry that if you had to. I, like, I, I mean, it's been messing with me this morning because it's a reminder to me of who I used to be. It's a reminder to me of the reality of where I used to be. And if I'm honest, it's a reminder to me the reality that I still sometimes find myself when I'm not submitted to Jesus. And it's not fun to read that this is true about me. But let's jump in. We should not walk as the Gentiles do, and he go ahead and defines some things that define what he means by that. The first marker we're going to talk about of walking as the Gentiles do, he uses this phrase, they are walking in the futility of their minds. They are walking in the emptiness, is what that word means, or vanity, is what that word means. They are walking in the emptiness or the vanity of their minds. There's something not right in their minds. Something is failing in their minds. When you're walking as the Gentiles do, then you are futile in your thinking. The things you think you are figuring out, they're, they're empty. Now, the wisest man, that's what Scripture calls him, the wisest man who lived, uh, Solomon, he began this book called Ecclesiastes, and he started it with these wonderful words. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, 
all is vanity. And that's the same word. I mean, it's the Hebrew. It's not the exact same word. Do you understand that? But it's the same word. It's referring to the same thing. It's emptiness. And he proceeds to walk through chapter after chapter. If you've read Ecclesiastes, you know this. Chapter after chapter of describing how all the pursuits he could give himself into. All the wonderful things he could do. Hard work, riches, having all you want, luxury, uh, a, a life of ease. All those things, they're all emptiness. And he concludes that book by saying that everything apart from a right relationship with God turns out to be empty. He ends it with a sway. This is, that was the second verse in. This is the second to last verse. The end of the matter has all has been heard. So he began that way. And now he said, now we've concluded this whole thing. And here's my conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now I'm going to tell you, I know, I, I'm going to tell you right up front, friends, you and I know this, we might as well admit it, right? There's not a single person sitting here this morning that wants to hear those words and receive it as a human. Not a single one of us. We've all inherited this thing from Adam and Eve that comes down right down the line. There's not a single one of us that wants to be told that, by the way, all that matters for you is that you fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. Well, what are we supposed to do if that's what it says? We have a choice, right? We're going to receive it. We're going to reject it. The end of the matter has been heard. Everything is emptiness. Every striving, every searching, every seeking, every accomplishment, every failure. All of it is emptiness and vanity apart from being right with God. Apart from being yielded as the proper uh, created being of God, redeemed of Jesus Christ. It is this line of thinking that Paul used when he stood in front of these people from Lystra a long, long time ago, and they began, they wanted to, they wanted to, uh, to give sacrifices to him, uh, and um, his name just went out of my head, chief speaker, and uh, the other one they called, they called Zeus. Who was it? Barnabas. Was it Barnabas? I'm going to look it up because I don't like when things jump out of my mind and I can't say it. Paul and Barnabas. It was Barnabas. Thank you. Barnabas, they wanted, to, they wanted to give sacrifice to them, and Paul said, whoa, 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 stop it. And then he says this, we are also are men of like nature with you. We're just like you. And we bring you the good news that you should turn from these vain things, that's the exact same word that's used here in Ephesians, these vain things to a living God, these empty things, this emptiness. When we walk as the Gentiles walk, then there is an emptiness, a futility, a vanity in our minds. But that's not it, because he says the second mark is they are darkened in their understanding. Their minds, their thinking is futile, but their understanding, it's an interesting word, their understanding is darkened. Understanding is the word dianoia, which means it is like the deep thought. It has to do with your thought and your emotions. It, it, it's, it's deeper than the mind. It's not just here. It's down here. It's, it's who we are. Their understanding. It's their basic, their basic, like, what they're made of and how they see things. Their worldview comes out of your understanding, out of your dianoia. Your worldview comes out of, out of your understanding. Their understanding is darkened. Now, we see a few instances in Scripture where the physical matches what's happening spiritually, where what's, what's true in the spiritual realm tears through the, the, the veil, so to speak, and becomes uh, physical. One of those cases is in the book of Acts. I'm going to turn there so I can make sure I'm uh, reflecting the story correctly. In the book of Acts, when Barnabas and Saul go to Cyprus, 
Cyprus. It's actually just before the, uh, the other uh, uh, instance I just talked about. They're, they're in Cyprus, and they're trying to uh, make Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, a believer in Jesus Christ. And there was a man, you remember there's a man named Elymas who opposes them. And he follows them around. He tries to, get, tries to keep uh, Paul from sharing the gospel. He follows them around. And Paul turns to him and says, this wonderful line, and I don't know if any of us have ever used this tact in, in, in any kind of evangelism, but I, I don't think it works very well, but I mean, Paul used it. He said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, and full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? But you know what happens next? Paul does something interesting. He says, and now may the darkness, uh, well, this is my paraphrase, may the darkness that you were walking in, that no one else can see, May it become physical to you so that you can see the darkness you really are in. And we read that the very, well, two verses after what I just read, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. You see what happened there was that Paul understood there was a blindness, there was a darkness to his understanding and it was inside, nobody else could see that. And Paul said, may that become apparent, may it become obvious to those around you that you are walking in darkness. And it literally happened. By the way, if you read the end of the book, it tells us that it's gonna happen again. Did you know that? Revelation chapter 16, verse 10 says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Again, that's where darkness is, the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. It's that wonderful part of the, the, you know, chapter 16 where people begin to gnaw on their tongues because they hate the darkness. But guess what else it says right at the end of that? It's like two verses after this. Some of the most sorrowful words in all of scripture. Yet they did not repent. They did not repent. Light and darkness clearly without any doubt, without any doubt, light and darkness are themes throughout scripture that are so prevalent and so obvious. We know it all the time. We use them as sayings. We use them as cliches. Rarely do we stop to assess what Paul is talking about here, that the reality is a life apart from Christ is in darkness and a light, life in Christ is in light. That is the distinction. Now Paul gives, and we use this all the time, and I, I, sometimes we use it just for today, and I think we, we need to recognize that it's, he's, just, he's describing the, the fall of man the journey of all of men. But Paul gives an incredibly apt description of this journey of darkness or light into darkness or being given over to darkness when he opens up his letter to the Romans. These are very familiar verses I'm suspecting for many of us, but I wanna read them for us this morning. I want you to note the very first words or very first verse I'm gonna put up on the screen there for you. He talks about the fact, just before I'm gonna start reading here, he talks about the fact that God's attributes are, are obvious. When you look at creation, you, you, have to be, you have to be blatantly disregarding uh, truth if you look at creation and how, we, how things are in creation and deny that there's a creator. I mean, plenty of people try it and do that, but that, that's the truth of it. It takes a much greater faith to believe that that all came about somehow without a creator of intelligent design than it does to have faith that God exists and created the heavens and the earth. But this is what he says in verse 21. For although they knew God, 
these people. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and, fool and their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to keep on reading here. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See how it's the opposite? That's the futility of the thinking. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their parts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, excuse me, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, verse 26 goes on, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, it's very easy for us to take those verses and say, boy, we're living in the middle of that. And I would say, that's true. But I want you to understand that when Paul wrote those, he, of course, didn't know. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't living in 2022, but he was still living in among humanity. He's describing the entire path of what humanity did from the Garden of Eden on, right? Though they knew God, they chose not to honor him. And this is the process. This is what happens. But a verse I want to point to is it's representing the two things that we've talked about so far. They didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks to him. They became, look at that, exact same phrase. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Those are the two th markers that Paul picks up. When you walk as the Gentiles do, they are futile in their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. But here's what he really wants to say about them. So I'm going to move to the next point here. Here's really what, 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 what's true about them. When you're walking as a Gentile, the, the, the description that we have is there because you were alienated from the life of God. You are separated from the life of God. Again, Paul has already picked up on these themes, right? He says, we used to be there. We used to be alienated. We used to not be part of God's kingdom, part of God's family, but now we have been brought near through Jesus Christ. But they are alienated from the life of God. And this picks up a second major theme in scripture, right? Life. Maybe the major theme in scripture, life. God is the author of life. The Gospel of John was filled with this idea and, and, and especially the idea that in Jesus we find life. In fact, he opens it that way. He talks about who Jesus was, but in verse four he says, in him was life and life was the light of men. I see I have a misspelling there. Ignore my misspelling. It's in him was life, not as life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Don't be distracted by my grammatical errors. The truth remains. They are alienated from God, and it's through two different things. Now, I talked about the two markers. Walking as Gentiles, there's two markers. They're futile in their minds. Their our understanding is darkened. They're darkened in their understanding. The result is they're alienated from God. They're separated from the life that's in God, from the life that God has to offer. And there's, uh, it's, it, that happens through two things. And pay attention, because they're going to parallel the things we just talked about. They're going to be tied together. 
The first is because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, no one likes to be being called ignorant. No one likes to be called ignorant. But that's literally what the word is. It's agnoia. It's to be without knowing. It's to not know something. It is the ignorance. Now, the root of that word is the word that has to do with mind. So this is the mind part. The futility of their mind comes because of the ignorance that is in them. There are those who do not walk as, as children of light, but walk as Gentiles because of their ignorance. Because they, their minds do not know who God is or who Christ is or what Christ has done or who they, there's ignorance. They don't know. This is why we put a lot of emphasis on how will people know if no one goes and tells them? How will anyone go unless they are sent, right? That's the whole, I mean, Paul lays all that. There's tremendous emphasis in scriptures given to what's happening in our minds because we have to know who God is. We have to know what Jesus has done. We have to know who we are and we have to know what God wants from us. We have to know those things. We don't want to be in a place of ignorance and there are people who walk as Gentiles because they are ignorant. They don't know. You talked about some of them this morning. People that have lived, we, we interact with many of them week after week. We'd love, to have you, we'd love to have you join us here. It's a mile across the field. Those young kindergarten to fifth graders and now sixth, seventh, eighth, some ninth and tenth graders, and I'm telling you, in their reality of their world that they know, they are ignorant. They have no idea that they could have life in Jesus and what that might look like. They're filled with all kinds of other things they think they know, but they have no idea. I don't have time to make that diversion, but I'll tell you, if, you're gonna get, if we're going to get serious about making disciples, I'm tell you, there, I mean, there's, there's channels. Don't, don't sit on your hands and say, I don't know how to do it, or I don't know what to do, or I don't know what to do. There's, there's places available. Love to have you. As I said, there's plenty of emphasis in Scripture. Let me just run through a couple of verses. Romans 12, 2 says we shouldn't be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewal of our mind. There's clearly a role that our heads play in coming to walk as children of light. And when we're ignorant, then we are walking as Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says that we destroy arguments and lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Those are, again, things that have to happen up here in our heads, Right? There's things that, now, by the way, just because you've been in church all your life doesn't mean that you don't have some ignorance, right? There's plenty of times where I've been reading scripture, and this has happened as an adult, this has happened as a preacher, and not just like when I was first a preacher. Like, this has happened as a preacher in the last year, where I'm reading something, and suddenly it's like, I have been ignorant about this, and I have not seen it this way. I have not understood that this is, that this is, what, this is, this is what you're saying, in this text. And I've read the Bible a lot. It's kind of my living, like I read it a lot. But there are plenty of people who are, don't even have that advantage. But that's not the only part that's true, right? When we're alien from the life that's in God, some of it's due to ignorance, some of it's due to the hardness of heart. Now we're gonna go to the other side again, right? One of it's in our heads, the futility of the mind, the darkened understanding is the hardness due to the hardness of heart. It's the same word that sets him up, by the way. I, I, I take a little exception with how the ESV reads. It's not a huge deal. I, I'm, not, it's, I'm not critical about it in terms of like this is, a, this is a big deal. But it makes it sound, when I read it in the, in the ESV in the English here, it makes it sound that they're alienated from the life of God because the ignorance in them and the ignorance is due to the hardness of heart. But actually, it's the exact same word that frames both. They're alienated from God through ignorance and through hardness through ignorance in their mind and through hardness of their heart. Both of those are, is what drives the alienation 
in the life of God. And the Bible has a lot to say about our hearts too, right? Because we all know this. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to know a bunch of stuff up here and this is nowhere close. I told you we can grow up in the church and still be ignorant, but I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. Most times, the problems with people that grow up in church are on the opposite side. You know all the things. You've been taught all the stuff. You've read all the, you've read all the scriptures. You've been preached to all, of, all these years. The problem's not up here. The problem's down here. Due to their hardness of heart, listen to what Isaiah said, and Jesus quoted it, Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, isn't it interesting to use that word? In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 7, 23, when Jesus talks about the end of time, he says there'll be people that come and say they did all these things in my name, and Jesus will say, I declared to them, I never knew you. Those are words that have to do with our heart, friends, not with the things we know, even not even the things we do. Those are words that have to do with our hearts, where our hearts are at. And Jesus said, there will be, there will be people on the day of judgment that have thought they know everything about me and have thought they're doing all the right stuff for me, and I will tell them, I did not know you. You see, that knowing is a different kind of knowing, isn't it? It's not a knowing of here. It's a knowing of here. It's an experiencing it's a relational word. Don used that word this morning. It's a relational word. And unfortunately, at that moment, he will say, depart from me, you workers for lawlessness. Both of these work together. I can tell you, I can tell you what, when we run into hiccups in our lives, which I don't know if you do, but I run into hiccups in my life. If we run into hiccups in our lives, there's a really good chance that one of these two things is the reason why. There's either something we don't understand about God, or there's either something that we have hardened ourselves to God in our hearts where we've said, I'm not okay with you being like this, God, or I'm not okay with it working out this way. I'm not okay with, with this is what's going on. I, I, I can't receive that. And it creates a division, right? I think it also would behoove us to pay attention to that because I think that, at, that affects how we try to, try to take care of things, how to, we try to fix things. I can tell you, if someone's heart is hardened and far away from God, you can give them all the instruction you want and it won't matter. You can talk to the brain all you want and it won't matter. And the same is true the other way around, by the way. You can try to care for people's hearts, but if they don't know who God is, if they're ignorant about that, it won't matter. This is what people are like when they're walking as Gentiles. They're futile in their minds. They're darkened in their understandings. We know we see them as alienated from the life that is in God because of their ignorance, and because of the hardness of their heart, which brings us to this line in verse 19, which is a defeated kind of line until we read the rest of the passage, which is why it's so hard for me to only preach the first half of this text. Because they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. What that word literally means is the hardening you I talked about that was going on there, the ignorance and the hardest heart, that, that it's become a callous. It's been hardened. It's like done. There's a callous. There's been layer upon layer upon layer that just continues to harden and harden and harden. And the result of that is they have given themselves up or over to sensuality. What that means is they've said, that's fine. I'm now just going to live to satisfy my flesh. That's what that phrase literally means. Paradidomi is an incredibly important word in this verse. And it's an incredibly important word in Scripture because it's incredibly important to remind us of the choices that we have. 
the choices that we have. That's what that word paradidomi is because it's the word that means had to have given yourself up or surrendered or yielded to. You will be yielded or surrendered or giving yourself to something. In this case, the people that walk as the Gentiles do, we see that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, which is really just saying they've said, I'm going to give, I'm going to live as my flesh wants. I'm going to fulfill the lust of my flesh. I'm going to do what my heart is telling me to do, though it may be foolish or maybe darkened and my mind may be futile. They have become callous and have given up themselves to sensuality. Well, let's talk about that word paradidomi. Can I show you a few other places in scripture to use because it will lead us down the path, I think, that uh, I think, I, I, I don't, we just don't have any choice in this stuff. I mean, we have a choice. Why are we going to respond? Either receive or reject. Jesus paradidomied, gave himself up to his father. We read about this, I mean, you can read about it all of, through the gospels, but the word is used in this verse and I'm going to use it here. That when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust, that's the word, he continued to give himself over or surrender or yield himself to him who judges justly, to his father. But you know, the most often place, used place where we see this word in connection with the gospel, certainly in the, in the New Testament, this word paradidomy is in the action that Jesus did for you and I. In Galatians 2.20, we read that the life that I now live, Paul says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself to the Father. Jesus gave himself for you and for me because he loved us. The choice is ours as to what we will give ourselves to. Is it going to be like we just read, as the Gentiles do, that we will become callous and give ourselves up to all kinds of sensuality, or is it going to be to give ourselves up to something different? Paul reflected on the same choice we have in Romans 6, 16. He says, do you not know that if you, yourself, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of righteous, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Sorry, I kind of mixed that up there. The one you obey is the one that you have given yourself over to and, are, and are become, have become a slave to. While you're contemplating that, can I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 6.24? You can't serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. So you do have a choice to make. I would tell you you actually already are making a choice. You, you can't abdicate. You can't say, I, I'm I'm neutral. You can't say, I, I refuse to make the choice. You are making the choice with how you live, with how you walk, which is why Paul says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. They're futile in their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life that's in God. If you want the life that's in God, they're separated from that. And it's because of their hardness of their heart. It's because of their ignorance. They've become calloused. They've given themselves over to say, I'll do whatever makes me happy. I'll do whatever feeds my flesh. I'll do whatever I think is the, I think is the best thing to do. Because that's what they've given themselves over to. This is where they find themselves. But I want to come to one more thing this morning. If you'll give me a bit more. I appreciate your... There's a little phrase tucked away in the part that we're not going to get to this morning. But there's a little phrase tucked away that Paul uses that I just want to highlight because I think it's so important for us as we, if I have helped you to see the choice that you are making as you live, 
I just want you to know what Scripture says about these desires of your heart and of your mind and of, of your flesh, the things you want to do. He says that we, our old manner of life, is corrupted or ruined. That's what that word means, ruined. It's ruined through deceitful desires. In other words, all the things you think you want, according to your flesh, all the things you think will make you happy, all the things that draw you and lure your attention away, all the, the money you have, all the nice house you want to have, all the respect you want to have, all the all the accolades you want to have, all the fulfillment of all your lusts of your flesh you want to have, all the, everything you want to have, everything you think you want to have, all of that according to this word and not just this word, but all of that according to scripture is deceitful. It's a lie. It will not deliver. It will not give you what you think you're getting. It is the age old and yet we're still sitting here today, 6,000 some years later, it is the age-old tactic of the enemy. Don't you know that if you would eat of that, you would become like God? It won't be like what God said. It'll be like this. This is what you'll find. And guess what happened when they ate of it? They died. You see that the promise that was given was not held. Right? It is, it is in fact, the principal difference between God and every other spirit or person. God keeps his promises. When he promises life to us through Jesus Christ, it will be kept. When Satan promises anything to us, it's a lie. And when we feel pulled and we say, well, this is the way, I this, is where I this is what I want to do. This is what makes sense to me. This is what I think I should spend my time on. I can't fathom otherwise. I can't function. Otherwise. All this stuff, I don't care. Give me all excuses you want. I'm telling you, it is deceitful lies because one day you will realize that the promise could not be delivered. This is why in the book of Hebrews, it says this. Gotta get to the right verse. I thought it was 13, it's three, Hebrews three. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then listen to verse 13. This is the one I wanted to share. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And interesting, the writer of Hebrews used the exact same phrases that Paul used in Ephesians. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, I get, really, I get really passionate and loud about some of this stuff and I, 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 I just wanna say it again. I sit in the pews with you I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not yelling at you. I am, I am dealing with the unfathomableness of how we trade away what Christ has to offer to us for temporary deceitful things that someday I know we will know absolutely did not and could not and will not ever deliver. Colossians 2.8, this is to the church. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Second Peter chapter two. I'm not putting any of these verses up here. I want you to see the phrase here. I want, you to, I want it to be drilled in your head that, that the things that our flesh desires are deceitful. They're deceitful. They're gonna ruin you. 
if you follow through on them. Second Peter, the whole chapter, I can't read the whole chapter. I, 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 I won't take time to read the whole chapter, but the whole chapter of Second Peter 2 is dealing with people who teach false, falsely, teach heresy, teach things that are not according to the gospel of Christ. But I want you to see in uh, verse 17 to 19, he says, these are waterless springs, these people that are, that are saying these things, that have given themselves over to, for gain, that are, these are waterless springs. What does that mean? What's a waterless spring? It's a spring that promises something, but there's nothing there. He says, they're mist driven by a storm. Well, he's saying the same thing over again. He's saying, when the, the rain clouds gather and it looks like we're gonna get a good summer rain and it doesn't deliver. That's exact, it's the deceitfulness of what they're saying. These are waterless springs and mist driven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. There it is, that's the same thing. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. We have a choice to make. We, now we only read the first half of this text uh, this morning. We have a choice to make, to walk as Gentiles or to walk as children of light. And this morning we found out what God says about those who walk as Gentiles. This is who they are. They're futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God through their ignorance and through their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They've given themselves over to say, I'll just live according to my flesh. That's what I do. And he's telling us that's not how we are to walk. I'm gonna close this morning by going to Psalms, which is maybe unusual, but I, I, just, I was reading these verses this week and they just seem to fit because I wanna be real with you this morning. It's entirely possible I could preach this entire message and you do nothing but think about all the people out there who are walking as Gentiles. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of choices, right? But what I'm more interested in, because this is what happened to me this week and this is what I just I said about responding to this morning even. What happened to me is, is what's also real is the recognition that I have to continue to make those, that choice of which, how I'm gonna walk. And I have to recognize there's times when I walk as a Gentile instead of a child of light. There's times when my mind, that I think I have something figured out and I think it's this way and I argue with my wife about it and my mind is empty, my thinking is futile. My understanding is darkened, it's because I'm not in Christ. I'm not walking as a child of light. I'm alienated from the life that's in God. And when we sit in church week after week and we hear those things, I think it's really, really easy it's really, really easy. It's really, really easy that when that's happening in our life that we just gloss it over and skip by because nobody else is talking about it. Nobody else is standing up. Nobody else is, so everybody else has to be getting it right, so I'm just gonna pretend I'm getting it right too. And when I read these, verses, these words this week as I was sitting at my desk, it's like a lightning bolt in, into me of how foolish we are when we're sitting on a Sunday morning in church and we're only thinking about people out there and we're not willing to consider ourselves. The psalmist in Psalm 94 says, understand, O dullest of people. <laughs> Talk about calling people ignorant. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. 
the choice we, we are making, the way we are living our life will have consequences. And I want to jump over because as the psalmist always does, when it leaves us in a place of recognizing our need for God, he says this in verse 17, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I am so eagerly looking forward to next week, Lord willing, when I can share those very first words that say, but this is not how we learn Christ. This is not how we learn Christ. God, thank you for your, your word for us this morning. Just as you did, Father, when I was sitting at my desk this week, and just as you did, Father, this morning when I'm sitting in a bench singing songs of worship and thinking about the message, I now reflect back to you and I say, oh God, help me to take to heart the words you have said to us this morning. Help me to see the distinction between walking as children of light and walking as Gentiles. Help me to receive and understand, acknowledge, and agree with your word when it says that when I do not walk yielded to you, when I'm not in Christ, then I am empty in my thinking. I'm darkened. I don't understand things like I think I do. I think I have them. I don't understand them like I think I do. Help me to see that I'm, I'm separated from the life that is in you. Help me to see that when that hardening heart when that stays there, when that ignorance, when it stays there, when I don't allow your Holy Spirit and you using your word and using our brothers and sisters and whatever else means you use, when I, when, I don't, when I don't allow you to come and change my mind about who you are and who I am in you and what you want for me and what you've done for me through Jesus, when I'm, when I'm not willing to, to, to yield and surrender and to, and to open my hands and say, God, the way you did these things, though they weren't the most, my most favorite, I'm okay with that because you know what's best. And when I'm not willing to do that, then, then that hardness, it just, it just grows. That ignorance, it just remains. And then I just further alienate. I further separate myself from you, God. And if that goes on and on down that path, then I find myself in a place where I am callous and I'm living to fulfill my flesh. And God, I want to tell you that I want to tell you this morning, I don't want to be in that place because I want to hear those words that Darren sang about this morning. Well done. Oh, I long to hear it from you, Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for repentance. I thank you for, for the realization when I'm not right. And I beg of you to continue to pour your grace out into my own life that I would come to you and just say, oh God, I'm not thinking right. Oh God, my heart is, I, I, I'm not yielded. I'm not submitted, surrendered to you. I'm giving myself over to my own flesh. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've done it. I've done it hundreds of times in my life, even since I've been a believer. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, I'm so sorry. You deserve so much better than that. I thank you for the incredible grace in which we stand. I thank you that you don't bring condemnation when I'm in you, Christ. You don't bring condemnation. That's not what this is about. You're not, you're not, you're not making me feel bad like I'm not worth it. You're making me realize how worthy you are. And I want to respond to that. 
Thank you that we have an option of saying, that's not how we learned you, Jesus, that we learned you in a different way, that we learned something different from you, and we have a hope for change. Thank you that I am pastoring and preaching to a group this morning that, that feels the same way that I see so many good things happening in, and that I know that they are, they're concerned about discipling and concerned about growing themselves as disciples. And I, I'm so, I, I don't deserve that, God. I'm, I'm so grateful that you've chosen to put me in a place like this. Thank you. May your blessing rest upon them. May they, may they experience the fullness of joy as they have life, the life that is from you, that they are not separated from that, but that they are surrendered. They're walking as children of light and not as Gentiles. May whatever words that came this morning to them, if they need to be dealt with and if there needs to be surrender or submission, may it happen, God, to the glory of your name. And if, it, if, if there's encouragement, whatever it may be, God, I thank you. May you work in them or continue to work in them. And I thank you for that. God, I praise you. You deserve it. You are the creator. You are the beginner, the, the finisher. You deserve all praise and glory and honor. Jesus, we recognize you as King of kings, the Lord of lords, having all authority in heaven and earth. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.